This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Good morning, Dean. You can't see me because we don't have our cameras turned anyway, but one way, but we're, there are about uh, four of us here and Mike is on his way. We are so grateful you're giving the talk today. It's really good to see you and, um, and, and look forward to hearing about how Crooked River Saga is doing in this hot summertime and these yeah. uh, times too. So um, thank you for uh, your, your uh, deep connection with uh, Jacoji and um, uh, let's turn it over to you. Okay, thank you, Doug. I, I know we've got a number of Crooked River uh, Sangha members uh, attending uh, our program this morning. So I'm grateful for, for their uh, support at all times. And uh, we, we regret that we won't be making the trip out there as we usually do in the autumn to uh, participate in the uh, Denko Asashine. Uh, but we're going to uh, participate from here. Uh, and I think we'll have a, a pretty good number of people that, uh, that participate in some fashion or another. And at least five of us are gonna do the entire thing. And I suspect that number will go up uh, between now and then. So uh, we can consider this morning's talk just to be the beginning of, of an ongoing uh, Crooked River engagement with uh, Jacoji over uh, the next couple of months, I guess, which we very much look forward to. Uh, it's an important resource to us for our practice here. It's nice having kind of a, a home temple that we can uh, turn to for more serious residential practice. And uh, we look forward to being back there again in uh, 2021 at some point. So, uh, I better get into my talk because it, it, I ended up building out uh, a bigger talk than I had thought I would, but it's just that kind of a subject. So I will try to get through it as best I can. And uh, since we, uh, we won't be going up to the uh, community building for lunch afterwards, uh, except for maybe five of you, uh, uh, when the uh, the clock strikes 12:30 there on the west coast, uh, we can. I, I'm in no hurry. It's going to be a, a number of hours before I'm looking for my next meal, so we can hang out for as long as you'd like to. Uh, so keep that in mind. Uh, I, I want to make sure we have a chance to dialogue as well, and it's not just me presenting material. Uh, although in the beginning, initially, that's, there's going to be a fair amount of that. Uh, and I, where I wanted to start with it this morning is just uh, to, to say that if there's only one thing you take away with you from this, it would be the title. That's actually the first thing that, that arose for me. And the whole talk then was built around the title. Uh, as, as these great inspirations often occur, it was in the middle of the night one night, uh, all of a sudden I had this thought. And the title that it, I ended up giving this talk is Imagine at this very moment, God is. So not trusting my memory, I jotted it down and figured I'd, I'd give it the William James test in the morning, look at it again when I'm in full possession of my faculties and see if it still uh, <laughs> sounds, sounds fairly deep or if it was really like I was on some kind of a trip on something. <laughs> but actually, it, it still worked. I, I tweaked it just a wee bit, but I, I said, you know, that's, I had a good night. Uh, I've got something here. And over, over the course of the next uh, couple of weeks, as I was building this thing out, it really kind of fell together, just various thoughts popping up. 
and I had my uh, my pad, kind of like uh, Beethoven's notebook when he's working on a composition, right? So I, I'm jotting down notes for my composition as, as thoughts come to mind. And uh, by the time uh, this past week, it was that it was uh, time to, to start pulling it together into some kind of coherence. It was fairly easy to do. All the hard work had, uh, had been going on uh, subconsciously, unconsciously. So it made it easy for me. I, I could kind of relax and just let things happen. And as the word term God in the title suggests, uh, this is going to also be kind of a, uh, I'll call it an interfaith dialogue. Uh, which I used to be heavily involved in back in the day, that sort of thing. So it's still a very important part of me, which is why uh, even though I know there's no God, uh, it's, it's important to me because as Brad Warner puts it, uh, he's always with me, even though there is no God. That's okay. And we're going to look at that this morning, why that makes perfect sense. Uh, and it's also, I, I guess, appropriate to give this talk at a center like Jokoji, uh, if for no other reason than the fact that Coben, Vanya, uh, uh, and the, uh, the beautiful facility that I haven't had a chance to get to yet out in Switzerland, uh, Felsentor, uh, is you know, an interfaith uh, facility. It's, it's non-duality in action. It's, it's transcending that dif differential between the various traditions. Uh, so I'd like to uh, make this talk just one more small piece in that uh, overall endeavor, because I think that's important too, terribly important. Uh, so where did the imagine come from? That was actually the, the tweak I did. Uh, and it, I, I knew where that was coming from because a talk that, uh, that I uh, did uh, quite a few years ago that, uh, that had some shelf life to it, I ended up repeating it uh, in different venues uh, for different groups, uh, was titled The Dharma of John Lennon. So once I started working on this, I realized, you know, I, I should really whole imagine into this uh, for a couple of reasons, which I'll now try to lay out. Uh, because the imagine, actually, as I'm going to paint the picture here this morning, arcs over and connects to the God is, in spite of you know, his, his stance on, on religion, not necessarily on God. In fact, I, I read uh, somewhere that he considered himself to be a Zen Christian. So I don't know if that was apocryphal or not, but, uh, but it's believable. That's, that's certainly true. So when Nico asked me about what, we, what I wanted us to chant this morning, I figured, well, you know, the Heart Sutra would be good because if I'm going to start this talk looking at the song Imagine, Briefly, I'm not going to go into any depth with it, but you know, one of the hallmarks to that song is, is the echoing of the Heart Sutra, you might say, in terms of the, the negatives. On the Catholic Church, there's the via negativa, the way to God is through the negative. And we're going to get, get to that too. But in, in Imagine, there's no heaven, no hell, no countries, nothing to kill or die for, no religion, no possessions, no need for greed or hunger. So to me, you know, that, that echoes uh, at a certain level with, with the Heart Sutra, but the strongest echo that really brings that out is the ending of both of those texts. So, of course, 
the, the Heart Sutra ends with Bodhi, Svaha, enlightenment, hallelujah. And imagine ends with, and the world will live as one. Well, that's enlightenment, hallelujah. Isn't it? I think. It is for me. So, and now I want to, I have some more to say about imagination and its importance, but it'll be moving away from, from Lenin's uh, treatment of it and uh, into various other aspects. And beginning, as we need to begin, with beginner's mind. And how beginner's mind is kind of creating the space for the ability to exercise our imagination. If you are in the, the fixed view mind, the expert's mind, there's really no room for imagination there. And when we're in that space, we feel it. We get that, I think. I know I do. If I'm stuck on something with fixed view, and I'm not going to move off of it, even with uh, John Lennon's encouragement, I'm not going to be imagining other options. But with beginner's mind, we're open open to other possibilities, other ways of seeing things, open to the fact that other people almost certainly do see things differently. And it might actually be helpful for me to see them more broadly. Creating the space for imagination to come up. And we get that when we have children, for sure. How much time do we spend? If you're a parent, you're automatically an educator. And how important an aspect of that is the development of, of imagination. In fact, we would not consider it to be a healthy childhood without that. So it's, it tends to go deeply within us. It's, it's a need, we're wired that way. And to try to stultify the imagination is a terrible thing. So when children are raised in a family that uh, just to use uh, a, an easy example, easy and obvious, uh, if they're raised in a, uh, a cult-like setting with fixed view in all caps, bold letters, uh, uh, there's real damage done. Because there's no room in that kind of a setting for imagination for investigating a world filled with possibilities. Or, as I'm also going to be spending a fair amount of time looking at here this morning, the matter of creativity, which runs through all things. It's really an important aspect of shunyata. Shunyata, to my mind, is creativity. And to imagine, another important way of looking at this, I think, is, is not staking out a claim on something. It's not saying, 
this is this is it. But rather, it's just either extending or openly receiving an invitation to enter a space, a space that is possibility. And of course, when we enter that kind of space, we can feel some trepidation because we have to give up that need for security. And that's what leads to fixed views. It's something we can hang on to. We're not going to turn it loose. This is what dogma is built upon. On this, I will stand. And anything that poses any kind of threat to it, I will oppose with all the strength I can muster because then I feel threatened. So to get into the interfaith aspect of this, no better person to start with than Meister Eckhart, who, just uh, important chronological note for Soto Zen folks, uh, Meister Eckhart was born in the year 1260, which for you Dogen scholars, you'll immediately know, well, that's seven years after Dogen's death. So they were near contemporaries. Obviously never could have encountered each other. But still, I, I always found that neat that they were so close in time to one another. Well, he, he had this to say relates to what I've just been saying, I think. When the human spirit is ready, God enters it without hesitation or waiting. You need not look either here or there. He is no farther away than the door of the heart. He stands there lingering, waiting for us to be ready and open the door and let him in. And one of the things this passage points to is that middle connecting section of the title of my talk at this very moment. It's important when we're talking about God to be clear about that because God, as we'll see, uh, can become externalized very easily, can just be turned into another being more powerful but still just another being. It's important. And this is where the Christian mystics, such as Meister Eckhart, put a lot of emphasis because it was the key to their understanding, realization about the relationship with what they termed God, was that it was something that was immediate, that was present at this very moment. It wasn't limited to some heavenly realm. If it was, we have no way of, of, of having any contact with it. To really experience the divine, it has to be right here. I can touch it, taste it, see it, feel it. At this very moment, then we swing back to imagination again as a way that we can do that. And as Zen practitioners appreciate the role of Zazen as what I, call, I would call an imagination catalyst. By practicing non-thinking, letting go of thoughts, we create possibilities. We, 
we allow possibilities to enter we're open to them so fixed view closed hand of thought imagination open hand of thought So as long as we've opened the door, I guess we should finish entering this God space and uh, look at the question, well, then what is God? What are we talking about? Because there's no entity we can look to and say, well, that's God. You know, that's how we teach children. Speaking about those young minds that we spend so much time training. It's an important task to teach them the objects of our world. What would we put in the book as a picture of God? Michelangelo gave it a shot. Which is beautiful art but I don't know about the theology. So now that we're entering this, the world of God, we're also entering a world that we're very familiar with. Again, as Zen practitioners, the world of Mu, the world of emptiness, of Shunyata. In fact, a few years ago, with a uh, Sangha member that some of you uh, had the pleasure to practice with, Wayne Labou, he died about two years ago. Uh, he was, in addition to uh, having been ordained as a uh, priest by me, he was also a Cistercian monk. And uh, he, he belonged to a community in uh, would have been Western Missouri that he had uh, residential privileges there. He could go there at any time, stay for as long as he wanted. And he would be out there uh, several times every year for extended residential visits. So he had both feet uh, firmly planted in each of the these two worlds of of uh, Zen practice and Christian practice, and and one year for our Rahatsu Sashin in December, uh, we taught together from a book called *The Emptying God*. It was a it was uh, uh, taken from a conference that was held where the keynote speaker was uh, Maseo Abe who's a well-known writer on subjects pertaining to Zen, including a pretty, uh, pretty helpful study of Dogen. Uh, and his, his keynote talk was titled, Canonic God and Dynamic Shunyata. And uh, I'll share with you titles of four, just four of the uh, responses to his, his talk. Dynamic shunyata and the God whose glory fills the universe. Scoop up the water and the moon is in your hands. God is unselfish love. And finally, faith in God and realization of emptiness. So this, this canonic God is an a, a self-emptying God. It's deeply intertwined with our notion, notion of shunyata. That to answer what is God, the via negativa, the no, know this, know that, like the Heart Sutra and John Lennon's uh, Imagine, is at the heart of their way of addressing what is God? It's by addressing all these knots. 
because for them, that's the only way you can get to this divine space that they call God. Which is our same approach to Buddha, Buddha nature, our true nature. It's the same thing. So from the divine names written by Pseudo Dionysius, one of the most important of the Christian mystics from the early years of the church, his dates are late fifth, early sixth century. He says, we leave behind us all our own notions of the divine. We call a halt to the activities of our minds and we approach the ray which transcends being. Here, in a manner no words can describe, pre-existed all the goals of our knowledge and it is of a kind that neither intelligence nor speech can lay hold of it. It surpasses everything and is wholly beyond our capacity to know it. To praise this divine providence, you must turn to all of creation. Everything has it for a destiny. It is there before all things and in it, all things hold together. That's pseudo Dionysius. And what he just described to me sounds an awful lot like Shunyata. And the role within Christianity of figures such as Jesus, an incarnation, which provides a, a model that can be followed because he's flesh and blood like we are, unlike God, which is shunyata. We are no different with our Buddhas and ancestors and teachers and lineages. Rather than following shunyata. So, bringing those both together, we bring together the transcendent and the imminent. It is at this very moment. And it's our teachers and our models, flesh and blood. Or, of course, as Dogen points out to us, uh, we can use the term flesh and blood, but don't limit it to homo, homo sapiens. We have lots of teachers out there. If we can open our minds, imagine these, what we would often term maybe non-sentient beings as also being important teachers for us. But that requires some imagination, right? We can't enter that space with fixed view. So there's an interesting quote and story involving St. Augustine, who everybody's heard of, I think, one of the most important of the uh, early church uh, figures. His dates are 354 to 430. So he was around for the, uh, for the fall of the Roman Empire. In fact, the Vandals were, were the problem at his post in Hippo on the, uh, on the southern Mediterranean coast. 
And actually, the, the uh, well, first, uh, the, the real short quote of his, which is very Buddhist, if you, understand, if you understand something, it is not God. And then the story, which may be apocryphal, but it's a beautiful story, so who cares? While walking along the Mediterranean shoreline, he met a child who with a seashell was trying to pour the whole sea into a small hole dug in the sand. Augustine told him that it was impossible to enclose the immensity of the sea in such a small opening. And the child replied that it was equally impossible to try to understand the infinity of God within the limited confines of the human mind. So this, this style of, of uh, defining God is termed apophatic or via negativa. And at least to me, this theology, if we want to call it that, of, uh, of the apophatic way of approaching God seems a lot like non-theistic views like Buddhism, not getting caught up in God because it's transcendent. We can't possibly have a fixed view about that any more than we can have a fixed view about Buddha nature, about Shunyata. So I definitely feel a need a little bit more with this notion of creativity because that's a spark that also arose for me in a way very similar to the way this talk arose for me. Only this time I was actually, uh, I think I was on my way to, to visit my mom down in uh, Eastern Tennessee and I got a late start, put up at a hotel in uh, West Virginia. And that night I just turned the light off, I was gonna call it a night. And all of a sudden something popped into my head, connecting shunyata and creativity. And I got my notepad out and started jotting some things. Figured out to be continued, turned the light out and then turned it back on again within uh, a couple of minutes, more thoughts are coming up. And I think I went through this drill probably four or five times uh, before I was finally done for the night. So this became actually something that I spent quite a few months on and ultimately then if if my dharma of john lennon talk had had uh, some legs to it and and got presented at a number of places i built a talk called zen jazz and the creative art of everyday living that had massive legs i gave that talk i couldn't tell you how many times uh, including at Unitarian churches. I condensed it down to be able to fit into uh, a Sunday morning service there. And then uh, did an entire sashin around it uh, at Udambara Zen Center way back, however many years ago that was. Uh, but in, in working on that, uh, in, in digging up what others had, had uh, come up with on that subject, I came across a book that at that time was uh, kind of brand spanking new. And it was written by uh, Gordon Kaufman, who was uh, a professor of theology at the Harvard Divinity School. And the title of his book was In the Beginning, dot, 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 Creativity. And he says in the preface of that book, for a good many years, I've been speaking and writing of God as creativity rather than creator. I had come to the conclusion that all theological ideas, including the idea of God, 
could best be understood as products of the, get this, of the human imagination when employed by women and men seeking to orient themselves in life. Particularly awe-inspiring to humans, of course, has been the creativity manifest in the emergence of life on planet Earth. There simply is no single right or correct meaning, no essence of the word God. So his teaching, his position, that God is activity, specifically creativity. Well, that immediately connects to Dogen, the awesome presence of active Buddhas, not the essence of Buddhas, active Buddhas, creative Buddhas. Shunyata is creativity. So given the importance jazz had had in my life, even going back to my late teenage years, but really flourished by the time I hit my 20s and I could start visiting jazz clubs. Uh, with creativity, I immediately drew the connection there, which is why I, I built a pretty substantial uh, talk on that very subject. And in researching it, looking through statements made by jazz musicians, making very similar points about their spiritual practice. And a lot of them are very spiritual people. And they see that as being this opening up of themselves to, to, to manifest creativity as an imminent phenomenon at this very moment. And some of those musicians also made the point that what they were doing was nothing all that special, that we all do that. And hence the, the part of uh, the title of my talk that, that put it in terms of the art of everyday living. We're always doing that. Hopefully. It would be a pretty horrid life not to be. And probably not a very long life either. Because again, we're not wired for that. We're wired for just this kind of creativity to be able to respond to given situations. In the moment, at this very moment. And sometimes it could be described as God entering into the picture. Because of having opened up that space where God can then enter. If we want to use the term God to designate it, it's just a term. Buddha is just a term. Shunyata is just a term. Don't get too caught up in it. Now, the one thing I will sk skip over, uh, this has huge resonance with, with Dogen's Genjo Koa. But I understand, I have it on some authority, that, uh, that Genjo Koan is going to be the theme for Denkawe. Is that true? Any Jokoji people can unmute and confirm that or deny it? I can confirm that. Is Genjo yes. Koan? Yes. It is? Yes. Okay, okay. Then what I'm going to do, because uh, I believe I'll be giving a talk as part of that, I will actually kind of tie that thread back to 
to this morning's talk. And uh, I will take, I'll let Mike know, and you know that the section of Genjo Koan I'll work with, and I'll, I'll, I'll resume there. So I don't uh, take more uh, than a bit more time to, to get to the end of this talk. Because that lops off a, a decent chunk of it. If that's okay? Yes. All right. All right. So uh, uh, I want, actually, I, uh, I wanted to close just with uh, some titles of, of sermons by Meister Eckhart, because he had this, this beautiful talent for titling sermons that, again, has uh, a Zen-like quality to it. So I uh, thought I'd go through a few of those, and then I have a uh, fairly short poem to share with you that ties us all together, and then uh, I'll open it up for dialogue. I have a few minutes left yet before, uh, uh, what, 3.30 your time? or no, my time, yeah, 12, 12.30 your time. Uh, and like I said or at the beginning, uh, I, I'll, I can stick around for as long as you'd like. Uh, so the titles to sermons by Meister Eckhart. Eternal Birth. The Kingdom of God is at hand. God laughs and plays. Truth is not merchandise. God must give himself. Purity of heart requires denial of self. Distinctions are lost in God. And then finally, God enters a free soul. So the poem, and the poem just arrived a couple of days ago. Uh, Anne, who is with us uh, this morning, afternoon, uh, she got it from her sister. It's from uh, uh, an, an issue of The Sun magazine, and she very kindly uh, sent it on to me, uh, thinking I would enjoy it, which I very much did, and uh, realized after the, the second reading of it that this would be a perfect way to, to conclude the talk this morning. So I'm going to share it with you now. And the title of it is Two Weeks After a Silent Retreat, written by Heather Lanier. How quickly I lose my love of all things. I nearly flick an ant off the cliff of an armchair. But remember, self, the week you spent enveloped in psalms, intoned by monks? By Wednesday, you beheld a three-balled body creeping around the onion skin of your book. Its six teensy toothpick legs bent into all manner of delicate angles. Your chest became a doorway to a spacious, unmarked heaven. You loved the ant. The kingdom, said Christ, is at hand. Meaning, not ticking above in a time bomb of gold-paved streets, but tapping its antennae along the heart line of your imperfect palm. Then one final title, Meister Eckhart gave a talk. This is another sermon. That was the title of his sermon. This is another sermon. So I'm going to use that for some of my Dharma talks here at Crooked River. This is another Dharma talk. And this is another Dharma talk that's now reached its end. So thank you. And I invite any comments you might have.
Dean, could you repeat that poem again? Oh, I sure can. Yeah, be happy to. I can't read it enough. <laughs> How quickly I lose my love of all things. I nearly flick an ant off the cliff of an armchair. But remember, self, the week you spent enveloped in psalms intoned by monks. By Wednesday, you beheld a three-balled body creeping around the onion skin of your book. Its six teensy toothpick legs bent into all manner of delicate angles. Your chest became a doorway to a spacious, unmarked heaven. You loved the ant. The kingdom, said Christ, is at hand. Meaning, not ticking above in a time bomb of gold-paved streets, but tapping its antennae along the heart line of your imperfect palm. I I cannot I cannot see I'm calling from my cell phone because the power went out. Okay. Uh, thank you, thank you for this. Uh, I don't even know what to call this Dharma talk, but thank you for this Dharma talk. Uh, just another Dharma talk. Just another. Another. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, well, okay. Just another Dharma talk. That wasn't just another Dharma talk. Uh, um, you know, I, uh, um, I, I just so happened to uh, YouTube Lex Hickson last night. Uh, and he was talking about in the Parliament of Traditions about this open space. Yeah beyond concepts uh, that every religion is a door to it all the religions of the world uh, but uh, uh, and he was anyway I cannot I cannot describe it it's worth it's worth for people to look at it Les Hickson was a Sufi master he was an American Sufi sheikh and he was also a Zen master and he also, interestingly, wrote Denkuruku. He translated Denkuruku, the record of transmission of light of all the Zen transmissions from Makashapa down to whenever Sikito Kizan's time. Uh, and it was very touching to because he felt that he was not describing it, but he was being it when he was speaking. And then the last thing I wanted to say is uh, a poem from Hafez. Um, which kind of like reminded, came to my head when you spoke. Uh, you said something in the beginning, dot, dot, dot. That's what, that's what brought it up. In the, he says, and it's about creation. He says, in the beginningless beginning, the light of your beauty promised freedom. Love appeared and set the whole world on fire. The logical mind wanted to make a lamp from that fire. The hidden hand of the divine arrived and said, you cannot enter this space. And I think this hidden hand of the divine is an archangel that's common to Christianity and, and maybe Judaism and Islam, I don't remember his name. <laughs> which angel that is, but I think he's referring to an angel. Okay. Any, 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 anyway, so thank you very much for this oh, talk. Thank you. I'll listen to it over and over again, actually. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, question I have, can you hear me or? Yes. Am I, I on? Okay. I, something, yeah, I don't don't always trust this thing. So anyway, um, you mentioned, and what resonated with me is that, that image of the gold paved streets. And, um, and I, I, it, what came in my mind is why do I always, are myself are also people, why do we want to make those? Why do we want to create those? And I even see it in, in Zazen and in sitting. Uh, while I try to make a 
structure of it, of what's happening, or something deep, uh, always, uh, you know, I try to turn it into a piece of clay or something like that I can have and hold. And, and uh, so what's the, I don't know, a psychological impulse or yeah. do you have any insight <laughs> into that? Well, insight and also I can connect this to a jazz story. I, I think the insight comes from, from greed. That, uh, that we were just gold is is such a hook for us and and the jazz story which connects exactly to this it's uh, it involves the great uh, bassist Charles Mingus again one of those names you don't have to be a jazz aficionado to know Mingus uh, because so many rock people uh, paid homage to him, but way, uh, and actually this appeared on uh, an early, I think it was early 70s, a big band recording of his called Let My Children Hear Music, and one of the numbers on there was was the uh, the chill of death, and it describes uh, this uh, departed soul entering the afterlife and and seeing the gold paved street and figuring you know well that's got to be heaven and even if it wasn't he'd have the gold right so hey what's not to like about that path so he started down it and then all of a sudden everything went dark and and, uh, and cold the chill of death uh, and he realized his mistake and turned to, to exit, but there was no exit. Now he'd already made his choice. Uh, that sense of, of being hooked by, by the gold and, and the fact that it's, it has that power within us to draw us on. And, uh, you know, it's as as uh, good Zen practitioners. You know, we've we've certainly practiced, I think, enough to see that our grasping after things does not turn out well. Uh, whether it's gold or any of the other things that uh, that can look so appealing to us because everything like that that we're grasping out to has no imminent value it's it's value that's created just like gold in and of itself you know what gold is is of, of next to no value we create that value Things that are really valuable, you know, being with other people, sharing a meal together. Things right now that aren't fabricated. This is what's happening right now. And that's the importance of God being experienced or Buddha nature. Because as you point out, uh, same things apply to Buddhism. It's right now. We need to see that because if it isn't, then it's our idea about it. We're thinking about it. It's not alive. It's not active. It's not an active Buddha. It's not a creative God. We're trying to freeze it into gold, a fixed substance that we can uh, look at uh, at the gold, the, the commodity prices on any given day, and we can translate it into what, how much is it worth? Whereas the really valuable things, that question, what is it worth, doesn't register. They're priceless. That's a good way of distinguishing maybe those things that are really of value from those that aren't. Dean. Yeah. Thank you very much for this for this talk. I really look looked forward to it. And 
I think it was on the Jokoji side as being, can we play nice? Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, can we play? <laughs> or, yeah, or, or something like that. Uh, right, right. I did say nice. I did. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it's something that I've struggled with myself uh, because in so many ways, I see the practice of Zen especially as um, having a small amount to do uh, overlap with Christ Christianity and Islam and, you know, especially the Sufi aspects of, of things. But in the main, um, even, the, e even the icons of Christianity for me, you know, I mean, I grew up a Christian too, mm -hmm. but they're so, now that I've had a chance to kind of explore them, they're, they're so repulsive. You know, the idea of people walking around with a symbol of torture as the uh, main, you know, and I, I've struggled with that because it's so ubiquitous that, you know, you, I do want to play nice. And on the other hand, I know that there is a, a strain of theologians in Christianity who believe that Christianity has traded um, kind of a love of this world, to use a title, uh, for crucifixion and kind of empire. You know, and in some, in some ways, just the whole model of that starts off with Christianity as being uh, sending a son down to be tortured and die for sins mm -hmm. that the father created the world of. And the only way he could be placated, you know, the, the whole notion of it to me is so, and I, I know this is terrible, not playing nice, but <laughs> it is so <laughs> repulsive that, it's very difficult for me to um, kind of want to align myself with that, with that theology, that part of the theology. And yeah. I just wonder, I wanted to ask your opinion, because I know you have a lot of experience, you know, in these uh, and knowledge about this kind of a field. Yeah, but I think my most important experience actually comes from a, uh, 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 the last day of a Zen session, I traveled to Pittsburgh uh, because Reb Anderson was doing, a, I think it was a four or five day session there. Uh, and so this combines the play aspect with, with the, uh, the crucifixion, if you can imagine that. Uh, during his morning talk, uh, he is, is Reb is, has, has the gift for sliding into uh, play, playfulness. Uh, there, he was singing, and it actually led to dancing. And ultimately, by the time this thing was, was, uh, had progressed to the point where we all got into this tunnel line in the Zendo, and we were going around dancing. Uh, and I, I remember I was the one that made the observation, there's too much energy here to keep it in this room now. And uh, whoever was up there towards the door must have agreed because out the door we went. <laughs> and this was at a Catholic lay retreat facility. So I don't know, these nuns really got a pretty uh, interesting view on, on Zen practice here. But we go all the way down the hallway, end up going outside, going up uh, a bit of a hill, and all of a sudden, this was unplanned. We had no idea where we were going. We end up at the Stations of the Cross that they had outside there. So all of a sudden, you know, from that, that energetic playfulness, we find ourselves in that space. And having a, a teacher with, with Reb's wisdom he could make the connection with dukkha that you know christianity and and the crucifixion they understand dukkha 
And that was the connector. Uh, I mean, I've had, I've read things uh, and, and such, but that was the most powerful experience for me was at that moment. To see, see uh, the accounts of the crucifixion as connecting with the Buddhist view of dukkha. Thank you, Gene. Uh, yes. Can you hear me? Yes. For the most part, yeah. Um, the residents uh, at Chicochi now are going to. Now are going to. Go ahead. Are going to uh, excuse themselves, excuse ourselves for lunch. Okay. So, uh, please continue with the conversation. Okay. As it goes. And um, thank you very much for your talk uh, this morning, Dean. Thank you. So oh, thanks for the invite. I enjoyed doing it. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jokoji, please visit us on the web at jokoji.org.